Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators, they're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them. And they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully, and today we have Chris Schutt with us. And he is a former teacher, middle school teacher as a education technologist, and then transitioned out of the classroom and has worked for Pearson as a senior product designer, founder of Schutt Career Consulting LLC, is a career coach, and I think a lot of what we'll get to later in the conversation is maybe how you could maybe help, you know, teachers who are looking to transition out of the classroom if they're looking for something new in their, either in education space, but maybe a new role completely. So thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jackie. Thrilled to be here. So my first question for you is what initially got you into education in that first role that you were in? Yeah, so most people go into education because someone had a really big impact on their life or from a young age they found a passion. That is not what happened to me. Honestly, I I went into education because I wanted a better work-life balance, which is kind of funny looking back on it because that's the exact opposite of what I got. Exactly. But, but before I was in education, I was working in the corporate world as an insurance analyst, and I could not stand my job. I was anxious. I was burned out um, to the point where the stress of the job was making me physically ill. Mm. And so I was looking for another career, but I didn't know where to go because this was the last career option within my field of study. So Am I going to have to go back to school? Am I going to have to go through a boot camp to change into a different industry? I really didn't know. Uh, but then around this time, my father was laid off from his position. And while he was looking for another full-time role, he started substitute teaching. And he would come home and he'd share stories about his day as a substitute teacher. And I thought it was really interesting because he had no education or experience. I, I honestly have no idea why he thought he would go into education, but I I found his stories interesting. So I figured, you know what? Most of my family and friends are educators. And I was looking for something that had a higher level of fulfillment than what I was currently experiencing. So I went the substitute teaching route as well and really enjoyed the courses uh, especially when they would discuss things like how, how do we effectively learn? How can we deliver a lesson in a way that really makes an impact on students? And, but the moment that really made me pull the trigger was when I gave my first lesson, the instructor was observing my first lesson. And first thing she said was, you need to go into middle school education. And I said, done. <laughs> that was all I needed apparently. So I, I did, I, Tweaked my resume, sent out uh, applications to different school districts, and a month later, I was hired on uh, by a school in Wisconsin on an emergency permit. Wow. And that's kind of how I went from the cubicle to a classroom full of students who have easy access to knives and power tools. <laughs> 
that's really cool that you were just doing this as kind of like a almost like a side gig kind of in between of transitioning out of the corporate world. I've had quite a few people on that have um, teaching was their second career. So like was in the corporate world and just felt like, what am I doing? What's my purpose? Like this isn't meaningful and thinking like, well, at least like mentoring young people would be meaningful. It could give work-life balance as you're thinking, oh, holidays, summer's off. You end at three o'clock, like done. Yeah, like you're still working around a lot of that time, um, as I'm sure you'll talk about. But that someone saw something in you, especially thinking middle school, which is it takes a very special person to teach middle school. I taught middle school in my first year's teaching. I, I could not go back to it now. Um, I've just been in you know high school for so long. But it's funny because like the lower school teachers or elementary school teachers were like, oh, they're so patient. They're so caring. They have to have a lot of energy. And then like the high school teachers are like, they're usually very serious and like, you know, everything perfect, like in a line, very regimented. And then the middle school, you see them and they're just bonkers. They're just like all over the place. They tend to be like the funniest and most fun people to be around. Like if you want to go to a happy hour, go to a happy hour with middle school teachers because A, they have stories <laughs> and they're just fun people. Because you have to have that kind of like spunky, spontaneity kind of attitude and like personality to be around a bunch of hormone filled kids going through, you know, their transition in life. So that's fun. So what are some maybe early um, stories or lessons that you learned or challenges or any aha moments from your early times teaching middle school? Yeah, so one of my favorites um, was one of my biggest bloopers as an educator. So my first two weeks were rough. I had no education, no experience. So to say I wasn't really sure what I was doing would be a bit of an understatement. And my imposter syndrome was on steroids at this point. I just felt like I'm completely letting my students down. But I had a lesson coming up for one of my eighth grade classes. And I was really excited because it's 3D modeling and we were going to be using a software that I used in college. I was pretty proficient with it. So I'm like, you know what, this is where we're going to turn it around. And so super excited. I'm making the lesson plan. And while I'm delivering the lesson, I'm thinking, man, I am just crushing this. And then as soon as I finished the lesson, I had a student raise his hand. He said, Mr. Shoot, I didn't understand any of that. <laughs> so in your mind, you're like, this is great. I'm totally engaging the mm -hmm. kids. And then they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. To literally feel the confidence leave my body. It was, a, wow. it was a gut punch. And it wasn't just him. I had a classroom of 30 blank stares at me. They, they had no idea what I was saying. And what happened was I delivered the lesson basically from my ego. I was so concerned on how can I sound more intelligent and sound like a competent teacher to these students I actually did the exact opposite. I threw so much jargon and terminology at them. I And I, I dove right into the deep end. I confused all of them. They had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> so I had to go back, basically chop up the lesson and start from the basics. All right, for this section, let's make a two-dimensional object. All right, now in this section, let's turn that two-dimensional object into a three-dimensional object. I just kind of chunk it up like that. Unfortunately, I'm proud to say by the end of the quarter, they were able to 3D print 
whatever they designed on the software, which was super exciting to see. It's really exciting for them because not only did they design this, but they also got to create it. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, in retrospect, I was right. That was the point where it turned around. My lesson started to connect. It just didn't really go down the way that I had hoped it would, but exactly. live and learn. Yeah. And I think this is the part when people are like, oh, anyone can teach. And it's like, no, it's a lot harder yeah. than you think. It's not about your knowledge and just imparting that knowledge on young people, especially when you get into middle school and like the lower grades. Like I'm in 11th and 12th. There's a little bit more grace that you have to be able to have like higher level conversations and give like a ton of detail. And most of them will pay attention to you. But when it's middle school, especially because they're like, all over the place with um, their attention span. Um, yeah, it's really about like breaking things down and doing it in bits and pieces to build up to where you wanna go. So actually in a way, you kind of were learning um, what they call backward design, where you start with the big picture. I want them to create, I want them to create and design and actually make this 3D you know, um, project. And, but then you have to go back to like, all right, what's that very first stage that they're going to be able to understand? And it might take some time to get there. So that's actually a really great way to design. And then you work backwards to the very beginning. So that's cool that that was a, a learning lesson for you. Oh, and middle schoolers will be very honest too. Oh yeah. They had no problem telling me they that this lesson just did not stick. Yeah. They give very, very direct feedback. Yeah eighth grade too. I remember teaching eighth grade. I um, taught middle school in Hawaii and I'm from the Philadelphia area. So I wasn't talking, using all this technological jargon, but the way I talked about history and the way I just presented information. And I was coming out of a job in Pennsylvania before I moved that was high school and like upper grades. So when I first started with these students, I was like, blah, 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 blah. And saying all of these words that they didn't know and talking so fast, they are like looking at me like, what are you saying? Like, we don't know how to follow you. Like I got a lot of pushback my first year and had to learn how not only to break things down for middle school, but I also had to like learn their code. Like there's this whole like, you know, code switching with different um, groups of kids, like in different cultures, different communities and the way that kids learn and talk and kind of, you know, um, take in information, at least in Hawaii and the school I was in was very different than what I experienced in Philadelphia. It's a very different part of the country and world. So I had a little bit of that too. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board because I am not reaching these kids at all. And if you can't reach them, it doesn't matter how much you know. You could be the smartest person. I was like, you could be Mensa, you can be a genius. If you can't reach the kids, they're not going to learn anything. And they're probably like also going to be like, um, I don't really know if I like this teacher or like this class. Not saying that was about you, but sometimes they'll be like, this is going over my head and they don't really care about me understanding it. So at least like you took that as a cue. Not everyone does that. Even teachers who are trained and have it in their degree and background will take it as a cue to say, I need to go back to the drawing board. Some people will just continue on and just lose kids. So that's great that that was like something that you kind of learned from. So what was your moment where you're like, you know, this was like my second career. This was a good path. I had some 
really great learning experience with these kids, but this is just not something I see um, moving forward. Like, was there a pivotal moment or something that made you switch to getting out of education? Yeah, I'd say around the third semester of teaching, it was not an easy decision. I was kind of wrestling. Do I want to stay in education? Because I loved the content that I taught. I loved my students, but my gut was telling me this just isn't quite the right position for us um, working within this environment as a teacher. But I wanted to make an impact on the education system. I wanted to still work within that area. And I really loved is actually during one of our projects, uh, one of our R&D projects with my eighth graders when they were doing a, a CO2 car experiment where they would build this car, they would test it, they would iterate it, they would reflect on what worked, what didn't, and then they go back to the drawing board. And that was something I just really clung on to. And I'm like, I need to find a career that I could still like have an impact on education, but it incorporates this as well. And so doing some research, I found user experience design. And I went the boot camp route um, after my year of teaching. Um, I didn't realize though that after that first year of teaching, you're kind of a zombie for that first month. <laughs> like I yes. I was so lethargic. I even went to the doctor and I was like, something's wrong with me. He said, You're a teacher, aren't you? I was like, Yeah, well, there it is. Yeah. So when you really got into thinking you were going to have work-life balance, um, before we mention more about your transition, like what was that like when you first experienced what it actually felt like that work-life balance or imbalance? Oh, oh yeah. Those breaks, I was just trying to recuperate. I was trying to, oh, okay, what lessons do I need for my next quarter? What, you know, what worked, what didn't. And then a lot of times it's like, I am just too tired. I can't even get off this couch. So like you're you're kind of comatose almost for a yeah. couple of months. So I'm like, yeah, this isn't uh, the work-life balance I was looking for. Yeah. But yeah, going back to my transition, basically I went the boot camp route, um, and I made all the mistakes trying to break into ed tech. I tried going solo. My portfolio and resume at the time were just awful. Um, so I had a inbox full of rejection letters. Um, but then I switched my approach and I started building relationships with other people. Um, and I started sharing my stories from my time as an educator and started communicating my value. Like, this is why I'm a standout designer because of my experience as education, mm -hmm. um, because of my experience in education. And that's what really started to resonate. And, uh, that's how I met my mentor. My mentor shortly became my boss afterwards. And then that's how I broke into design full time. And I've been in the education space ever since working um, either as a designer or coaching educators who are also in the middle of a career transition. Mm, I love that. And I've had a few people on that have done the same where they're like, I want to leave this space. And it's not because I don't care about education or the kids. I actually want to make a greater impact. And I feel like I have the passion and the skill set in another way to make that greater impact. You mentioned when I had on um, Kevin Foote that you listened to that episode, yeah. did the same thing. He wanted to leave and he wanted to look at the classroom design and how we won't maybe think firsthand that that's going to make a huge impact on education, but it really does. Like the environment does make a huge impact on how kids learn. Are they engaged? Do they enjoy going to school? 
if their space is like more modern, interactive. So he found that that was really making a greater impact. And he's still going into schools and he's meeting with teachers and like administrators, superintendents, and very much like in that space. So I think that's um, also kind of connected to your story. So yeah, if you want to share a little bit more about what you do now specifically, or um, also the maybe teachers that you've worked with or what you're seeing in this time, kind of pandemic, post-pandemic, right? With teachers looking to transition. Yeah. So since leaving the classroom, I've been fortunate enough to support teachers and students in a different way than I did before, uh, especially for students as a designer. I've worked on projects where we would build a mobile application that allows students to learn English as a secondary language, uh, built an application that allows higher ed students to get that job, that first career out of high school or not high school, out of college. Basically, how can we help them find a career path that doesn't just fit their skill set, but also their interests? And how can we identify what gaps might they have? And how can we fill those gaps with the resources they need to not only get that, that career, but to accelerate? Um, and then on the other side with educators, um, I actually the pandemic kind of played a role in this because uh, at the time when the pandemic was in full swing, I was working as a designer, didn't Coaching wasn't even on my radar at this point. I just had absolutely no interest in it. And then suddenly I had an inbox full of messages from educators reaching out to me asking, hey, how do you get into design from teaching? Because take all the stress and the burnout that educators had before the pandemic. Okay, amplify that times five. Like they were just mm -hmm. leaving in droves because the pandemic really showed like the flaws within our system. And it just burned teachers out so bad that they're like, I need to, I need to leave for my mental health. I mean, let that sink in. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that was, a, that was kind of what got me into coaching. I figured, you know what, my transition from education into design was brutal. I made all the mistakes. So I figured, you know what, I'll give them some free advice. And if it makes their experience a little, little less lousy than mine was, perfect. Um, and in that first session, that's when it sort of turned around because you could see multiple times during that session, they had that aha moment on their face mm. and they left the session more motivated and confident than when they came in. And that gave me a level of satisfaction that I had never experienced before. So I thought, okay, I could take the skills and experience that I gained as a teacher. I could take the skills and experience I gained as a designer and I could help people who are transitioning in their careers and tackle all the challenges that come with that to make their experience much more seamless than mine was. And I'm proud to say that they're a full-time designer now in the education space as well. So that's, that's, that's uh, partly thanks to the pandemic, I guess. Yeah, I know. There's like the silver lining of the pandemic. Um, and we often talk about that is that you know, it was jarring. It was really horrible. I mean, especially if people lost, you know, friends and family, it was very stressful on all industries. But when we talk about education, it really just, I think, took a toll on everyone's mental health. But the focus wasn't on the teacher's mental health. I mean, of course, it was on the students, which rightfully so it should be. But there were we were doing so much to try to be there for everyone that where was the support system for teachers. And I think that was kind of the breaking point. And there was also a lot of pushback, 
you know, on what teachers were teaching and how they were teaching and, oh, we were virtual too long and, oh, and this and that. And they're like, we're doing the best that we can. <laughs> and right? I think 2021 was like that, you know, just cracking open of like enough, like we're done. And then I started to see in the top of 2022, it being like a very big movement. And it still is. I mean, there's still, you talk about how you are an emergency hire. I mean, that is now very common in many states around the country. Um, and I don't see a lot of movement within the school system addressing that besides saying, we just need more teachers. I'm like, well, can we look at the root cause of why they're leaving instead of putting band-aids? And so like, I notice a lot of times in schools, like their band-aids are, oh, well, we'll give you um, coupons to go to like do yoga or offer a yoga class or do these little treats here and there. And I'm like, honestly, what teachers need the most is time. They need support. They need resources. Um, they need to have feedback and affirmation of what they're doing and feel like they are being listened to. And none of those things have really changed that much. And so I love that you're able now to bridge like the two experiences you've had. And now you're really in a role where you're helping and still helping people who might impact education. They might be doing things in different spaces. And I think that's another part that a lot of people might learn from listening to this conversation is that it's not just being in the classroom, but it's being in all of these roles that are impacting the classroom. Well, that's an important note because of all the educators I talk to and are considering leaving a classroom, I'd say almost all of them struggle with it. It's bittersweet because they don't wanna leave their students but also they don't want to leave education either. It's just an effort to that. It's an effort that's easier on them on their, you know, mental health. And I mean, I can't blame them for that. I've been, yeah. I've been there. It's rough. And it's like you said, there's just not enough support for the mental health aspect. I mean, even in like corporations, you'll see these initiatives to offer, you know, counseling, mental health days. But as far as I can tell teaching, it's still sick days you got to take. Yes. And you yeah. only have, you have a very limited number of those as well. Yeah. So and yeah, people absolutely. don't want to call it mental health days. Even if they're like, I'm no. taking a sick day. I've done it twice this year. I've taken two days where, I mean, I was kind of like a little under the weather. I had a cold and I was like, I don't want this to get worse. But it was also like, I needed a break. I actually took a day off to grade. <laughs> like I'm taking a day off to do the work I can't do if I was sitting in my classroom because I wouldn't have the time. And even if I have free periods, I have people coming in all the time, you're, you know, you're bombarded by students and people wanting to talk to you. It's very hard to like actually have productivity in the classroom mm -hmm. when um, boundaries are really hard for teachers. But I think just the school culture, it always feels like you have to be accessible at all times to students and to everyone where you're like, no, this is my free period and I need a space where no one's bothering me so I can grade, I can do lesson planning and you might only get one or two of those in a day if you're lucky and there's some days you might have none. So it needs to be normalized, I think, as in other workplaces that there's mental health days. There also needs to be days built in, like say at the end of a marking period or quarter where maybe the school gives the faculty the day off to, and they can come into the building or do it from home. They also have to respect that we are professionals and we will get our job done if we are at home and do your grading and like 
you know, whatever you have to do for report cards. We have a quarter end on a Friday. And then by Monday, so the weekend, your grades are essentially due. We still have a week to write comments because we have to write these long narrative comments, but your grades have to be due because we need to see like, if kids are not doing so well, we have meetings the following week. So if you do have stuff coming in at the end of that quarter, you're grading over the weekend. Like I did that this past first quarter, I was at a paper come in and I normally try to end the quarter a week earlier just so that this doesn't happen, but you know, things get behind or the schedule gets busy. And I had a paper come in with uh, two classes and I was doing that for an entire weekend or like about five hours. So that just doesn't make any sense at all. Instead of saying, let's take this Friday off, like the quarter ends on a Thursday, the Friday's off, faculty can come in or work from home, whatever you collected or assessed this week, you now have the eight hour day to do whatever you need to do. And honestly, you could get it all done well before eight hours. Like I could start my comments. Like when I'm at home and I'm in my space and I'm like zeroed in working, I can do it in half the time than when I'm at school. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. A lot of it comes down to class size too. I was speaking to an educator not that long ago because I mean, when I taught, I averaged about 25 to 30 kids in a class and 30 is a lot. Yes, it is. That's a lot of kids to manage. That's kind of the tipping point. Oh yeah. It's like the difference between having a class of students and a pack of wolves. And (laughs) now you hear stories post pandemic where there's such a teacher shortage that their current class sizes went from an average of 20 students to now almost in the 40s. Like, how do you manage that many students being just one person? Right. And so you'll see people get their planning periods taken away because they have to fill that time with something else, some other responsibility, whatever they decide it is. And they figure, okay, that's fine. I'll stay a half hour after work. That's just the nature of the beast, right? But then that gets taken away because they're voluntold to take on additional um, activities after school for an hour or two, whether it's tutoring, after school activities. And now it's like, okay, well, now I still have to plan my lessons, but now I have to either do it at home or over the weekend. And it just adds to the burnout and the frustration. Yes. It's like, don't burn the don't burn the teachers that you currently have while you're trying to find a new one. Cause by the time you find that one person to fill that role, you're probably chasing two or three out of the classroom now. Yes. That's so true. I know. And that's why I started this podcast. I mean, I didn't start it just to be like talking about transitioning teachers. I've had many on, but I've had many that are still in it and many in various educational spaces around the world. So it doesn't necessarily look like just K through 12 traditional classroom. Um, But I started this as a place for kind of my own healing and wanting to connect with other people going through the same thing in 2022 and just to make space for these conversations because I felt like it wasn't anywhere besides um, like private online groups, but no one else is listening to that. So I especially wanted people from outside the industry to listen to these stories. Because I think if you have allies in other industries, 
that are outside of education and they're hearing about this. And a lot of them are like, whoa, I had no idea. I had a friend recently read my book that I just had out this fall where I talk intimately about teaching and all of these experiences I've had. And she's not, she's never been in the industry and she knows me very well. Um, and she's like, I had no idea. It just totally changed the way I view teachers and education and something needs to change. There you go. It's like you can spark a passion in other people to be allies and start to maybe speak up and maybe other people who have more positions of influence, you know, power. I know a lot of entrepreneurs that want to get into shaping um, new education systems and, you know, hook up with people who really like they are passionate about it, maybe because they also have kids and they see what they're going through, right? And they see teachers leaving and like it's a revolving door. So it's important to, to share this. And I think it's important that you're sharing your story as I did this as a second career. So I actually left something, went into it because it seemed like that was something that would be fulfilling and someone saw something in me. And then I wanted to expand and impact it on a greater scale. And now I want to help those who have a similar vision. So I think that's a really cool journey that you're on. So thank you so much for sharing that. Is there anything else that you'd like to share about the work you do, what you're seeing now currently in education, or just like any ideas of what we could be doing to help this crisis? <laughs> well, first, uh, again, thanks for having me on here. I think it's very powerful to share these stories. I know in my experience, even in other professions, sharing my stories as an educator just kind of blows some people's minds because it's like you said, they're like, I had no idea it was like that. And that's what I do a lot with a lot of transitioning teachers that I work with is like, how can we communicate your value? Because I mean, I'll get a lot of educators going into design who will ask me, do I have any skills that transfer? And I'm like, how much time do you have? <laughs> problem solving skills. When are you not solving problems as a teacher? There's always something. Can you work in a fast paced environment? It's like, get on my level. I used to teach middle school, <laughs> you know, organization, delivering presentations like these are all skills you've got down even if you don't even teach tech ed you've got these skills as an educator so share those stories but one thing i did notice within my classes um because my classes i was trying to promote critical thinking and problem solving and i was kind of fighting with the traditional way that we grade and teach students because i let's say for example we had a co2 car experiment and i figured okay this will be easy your car goes this far we'll get you get an a this far you get a b so on and so forth right seemed great on paper but what happened was i would get students who were high achievers and they did what i wanted them to do they would get the car to go a certain distance they'd iterate on it they okay this worked out great now let's try this exactly what I wanted them to do. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it went farther. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it broke. That's just part of it, right? But come test day, you'd have unfortunate timing where it might not go very far or it might break. So now you have this student who's getting A's in all his other classes and is hyperventilating in my class because he thinks yeah. he's going to fail because his car broke. Oh. 
they didn't they didn't fail i wasn't yeah. going to punish them for doing exactly what i wanted but yeah. i realized that applying that typical traditional grade book to my class for those types of engineering type courses just wasn't yeah. working i yeah. couldn't assess their outcomes i had to focus on the processes okay during this stage what did you face what was the challenge how did you address it what did you take away from it okay now at this stage what happened okay at this stage what happened and then i was able to more effectively i'd say evaluate their performance but it still wasn't perfect so that was one obstacle I came across was the kind of that cookie cutter approach to how we deliver education. And I mean, you know, students, they all have different needs. They all learn different. It's not giving them the same basic factory kind of approach mm -hmm. to education just doesn't work. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned process because I talk about that a lot, even within my own school. I'm like, we're a product school. Most schools are product schools because it's the grade right? What does that grade mean on your transcript, getting into a certain college, if that's your track, whatever. But we don't value the process and you can grade process. Like you can make rubrics for that where you're looking at improvement, you're looking at reflection, you're looking at going back to the drawing board, you're looking at failure as a positive because it's what you do with that failure. So it's like, here's something you failed. That's not going to be your end result outcome grade, but I want you to do something with it. If you decide to do nothing with it and you're just like, eh, I don't really care. Okay, that might be then reflect it, right? But if you're like, no, I'm determined to go back and fix this, even if I fail again, that's gonna be part of your, your, no, your grade, your outcome, because you are learning from the process. And that's really what you do in the real world, especially if you're gonna get into anything with STEM, right? Anything with STEM, right. you have to be okay with failure. You have to be absolutely um you know okay with reflecting on a deep level and going back to the drawing board many many times and i would say that in almost any field but definitely stem and so i think we there are lots of schools that are starting to spring up that are more kind of alternative education spaces that are focusing on process and more like portfolio based reflection maybe they don't give like grades but they look at like more feedback, written feedback on like a rubric narratives. And we have that too, but grades are such, it's such a problem. And that's why I'm like, we need to start thinking about portfolios. I want students presenting and talking about their work, talking about the process. And then that is part of the culminating grade, right? Like if you can give a formal presentation and talk about your failures, Talk about your improvements and your strengths and how you are this like holistic person learning, right? That should be a quality, not just the test. And that's why I get, yeah, I get frustrated with that as well in the system overall. But particularly in STEM, you don't want it just to be about that product or that yeah. one test that you do, because there's so many things leading up to that. Yeah, I love what you said there, because I don't want students to just memorize stuff for a test and then they'll forget about it 15 minutes later. I care more about what mistakes did you make? What did you take away from it? And then how are you applying the learning? That's I don't care how many mistakes you make. I encourage you to make mistakes like that was bas the basis of my whole all my classes. 
but I don't want you to just memorize stuff just to get the A and then that's it. You're not going to retain that information afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. This is great. Thank you so much. And um, I love your journey. I think you're doing really cool work, especially with working with educators. So would you like to share with our listeners and I'll put it in the show notes, your contact information, where it's best for anyone to find you, website information or anything? Yeah. So the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on there. Always love talking to educators. So feel free to reach out and shoot me a message. Thank you so much. And I'll plug that and any other um, information, contact information you have in the show notes. Thanks, Chris, for sharing your story today. Oh, thank you for having me, Jackie. This was great. Have a great day and happy holidays. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.